All right, good morning. It's been a it's been an interesting week, ain't it, Cindy? Really interesting week. It's been started out the week with body parts coming over from France to to Linville. <laughs> Deal with that for three days. But uh and then we got Cindy over here, got her license, and then Abby got hers last week and probably bring y'all up here and lay hands on both of you. And your parents. And then Ariel graduated college Friday with an associate's in horticulture, which is all great, but today's a really good day. It's a really, really good day, and, and it's just a good way to, to, to start out the work week or whatever, how you're going to say it, but I heard that it might be somebody's birthday today. Who, whose is it? Can you come here just a second? Would you come up here just a minute? Everybody needs to see who the birthday boy is. Hurry. You're going to have another birthday if you don't hurry. Now, tell them how old you are. Four. Four. So what does that mean we need to do for you? Do we need to sing? You think we should sing? Okay. How about y'all sing, Conley? Happy birthday. <laughs> Graduating college is great, but turning four, I mean, seriously, that's, that's a good day. <laughs> uh, we're going to recognize Ariel, and I think we'll have, we'll have two, three, I don't know. We've got Paisley. We've got a couple, so we'll recognize them later on this month when everything's said and done. Still got the baby bottles out here. I don't think anybody took a baby bottle last Sunday. So I'm going to put Deanna back there with a knife or a gun and, and make y'all take bottles when you leave here this Sunday. But we've got a bunch of them. Grab one or two, take home, fill them up, bring them back. If you need more, we'll get more. But keep filling them things up and, and getting them back in here. It's, it's a great thing. Uh, we're going to be over in First uh, Peter 4 this morning. First Peter chapter 4 this morning for a little while. We're going to be looking at arming ourselves. That's why I said that about Deanna, arming herself with a knife or a gun, because we got to arm ourselves in this time and day that we live in. Now, you can take that how you want to take that. I will be honest with you, I was armed Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Just so you know, I, I know that the Catholic Church has been under threat because this Roe versus Wade overturned thing, and um, I, was, I, was, I was armed. I was ready, just in case I would defend them if I had to, but we need to be armed spiritually as well, and when I say armed spiritually, we need to be so ingrained in the Word of God. We need to be armed with the Scripture because we never know when we're not going to have it. We're not going to have our Bible at hand, and the devil's going to come at us when we are least expecting it. He's going to come at us, and he's going to bring people at us that are going to want to know why we believe what we believe and why we do what we do. The devil will use people against us, and he will also use those people against us. And, and Mike had brought up a good point to Paisley a couple weeks ago, that you will doubt your salvation at some point. That's the devil. That's a tool that the devil will use that we need to be ready to fire back at him with Scripture. So we've got to read. We've got to study. We've got to learn. We've got to be armed. There was a, a man that... Um, 
down in Texas, which this could happen anywhere. It could be right here in, in Avery. But this man in Texas, he owned a, ho- a horse farm, and he was feeding his horses, and a rattlesnake came up, and he beat the tar out of that rattlesnake, and he beat it with a, a pop, and then he took a shovel, and he cut its head off. Well, after he cut its head off, he hit the head with the shovel and knocked it up over underneath one of his trucks. Well, he said, well, I don't need to leave that there. So he reached down to pick it up, and the snake bit him. True story. The snake bit him. Just the head. No body left onto it. And so, of course, it bit him on the finger, and so his son took him to the hospital, and um, when he got there, realized that he's going to have to have some more medicine because it was the venom was taking effect so he had to take him down to another hospital 30 minutes away and get the venom or whatever that stuff is and it, uh they interviewed him on on the news later on and they said what would you do different and he said next time he said i'll take the shovel instead of hitting it he said i would just bury it there on the spot he said i will stay armed y'all probably thought that was going to be funny but it's not but he said i'm, I'm going to stay armed with my shovel and he said, I'll bury it right there on the spot. And that, the, the, the way the devil is working with us, the devil has been defeated. We know that. We know that the devil is a serpent. We know that, that uh, Jesus crushed his head. We know that. But remember, he can still do damage. The devil can still do a lot of damage to us, even though he's been defeated. Just like that snake was defeated. That snake had been separated from its body, but it could still harm that man. It still harmed that man. Same with all of y'all. That's something my grandpa told me when I was young. Down in Blackberry, there's rattlesnakes down there. And we come across a rattlesnake or a copperhead, and he said, you, you might kill it and you might cut its head off, but he said, you make sure you don't mess with that head. Even though it may look dead, it can still bite you. It can still has the venom in it. So we've got to stay armed. We've got to be on our toes at all times and be ready to fight the devil. Just like taking a shovel to a snake, Peter calls us to arm ourselves for battle. Keep our guard up. You know, Paul told us about the, putting on the, the whole armor of God. We've got to have everything on from our helmet to our sandals. And I'm pretty sure those sandals are not steel-toed. I'll just be honest with you. I've seen some sandals before, but they're not steel-toed. We've got, to, we've got to have our sandals on to run. To run, not to flee, but to run and to protect ourselves. If you got your Bibles turned open to 1 Peter, stand with me just a moment. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For... For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you. 
Oh, Lord, we thank you for the rain. We thank you for the sun. Lord, we thank you for uh, the air that you've given us to breathe. Lord, we just thank you this morning for sustaining us, for feeding us, for sheltering us. Lord, for keeping us in your strong arm. Lord, and I pray that the day as we preach, God, I pray that we could look at ourselves and where we stand. And Lord, I pray that we stand inside the center of your will. Father, I pray that today, that through the words that are going to be preached, God, we would search our hearts and make sure that we are completely and totally 100% armed from head to toe with the full armor of God around us. Lord, I know that you've got us wrapped around you, wrapped us up in your loving arms. Lord, I know that you're protecting us. But Lord, I pray today that each one of us would just take a moment and inspect ourselves, inspect our hearts. And know that we have that whole armor on top of us right now, God. And we can go out in this world and we can fight. We can hold up our swords. We can raise that banner high knowing that we are saved. And we're going to be your soldiers. And we're going to fight as hard as we can fight for your word and for your kingdom. And God, I pray today would give us encouragement to do just that. Lord, I pray that you be with those that are shut in today, those that we know are sick. Lord, I pray that you touch them. Be with those down at the coast that are having to deal with that nor'easter, and I pray, God, that you keep them safe. And, Lord, I pray that you be with our men and women that are serving to protect us here stateside. Lord, just thank you for their sacrifice, and, Lord, just for what they're doing for us. Be with us. Go with us as we leave here. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. First thing we've got to do is we have to have the attitude of Jesus. You ever thought about Jesus' attitude, just the type of person that he was, and when I say attitude, especially those of us that have teenage children, what do we think of? Bad attitude. That's what we think of. Do you think Jesus had a bad attitude? Both of them. I was, I was looking at Cindy and Abby both. Do you think Jesus had a bad attitude? I, I, can you imagine Mary and Joseph raising him up, if Joseph was still around whenever Jesus was a teenager? Do you, do you think he had a bad attitude? No. He didn't. Jesus had a good attitude about everything he went into. He had an, an attitude. Just think about the way that he stood whenever he went to the cross. He was willing to take on the punishment prior to the cross, even though it, it hurt physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It hurt him, but he still went into it with the attitude of, this is going to save my people. This is going to save those that are lost because Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. So he took on the punishment for us with the attitude of love. That's the kind of attitude that we have to have. At the cross, Jesus endured his greatest suffering, dying under divine judgment as the just for the unjust. We're unjust. That's us. We're so unjust, but he was the just. He was the one. He was selected. He was the one that, that God said would save us. He said there'll be no more lambs. There'll be no more sacrifices. He selected his son, Jesus Christ, to be that just sacrifice for us because he was perfect. We're unjust. We're not perfect. There's, from the day we're born to the day we die, we are un, we're, we're not perfect. We're unjust. So we are not a good sacrifice. There was never a lamb, even though those lambs in Bethlehem and all those lambs that was born over in Israel, all the ones that they used for a sacrifice, even though they come in and they said that they were blemishless, they still were not perfect. They were not as perfect as Jesus. And Peter tells us since Jesus suffered in his body, he said, arm yourself with that same attitude. 
with the same attitude. The Bible tells us to have the mind of Christ. What was the attitude? What was, what was Jesus' attitude in life? What's your attitude in life? How do you stand? What, what do you think? How do you feel? Again, he came to seek and save that which is lost. He loved people. That's a great attitude to have. Now, that's a hard attitude to have. But Jesus loved people. What an attitude. Just to love people. Even those that persecuted him. Even those that spit on him and called him names. Even those people that were standing there on one day singing uh, Hosea. I said that wrong. <laughs> but they were shouting out Hosanna to him. I knew I said that wrong. Hosanna to him. They were shouting it out. And then seven days later, they're saying crucify him. He still had an attitude of love towards those people. Even though those people wanted him dead, he still loved them. That's an attitude to have as a Christian. He was involved with people. What kind of people was he involved with? Did he hang out with the religious crowd? Did he hang out with the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Did he hang out with the sinners? He hung out with sinners. Now, am I telling y'all you need to go sit down at the bar and hang out with those guys? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you need to try to be a help to those that are lost. All those sinners that are around, all the people that you know, you don't have to go out into a sin-filled world. You don't have to go out to the bars and, and all the bad places in this world to find sinners. You could probably just find one or two at work. Three or four at work. You can run down here to Roses and find five or six probably. You could go through the cruise through or the cruise in or whatever that is and find one or two, I'm sure. But we can find them and we can work with them. We can pray for them. We can witness to them. That's what Jesus did. He did not hang around with the religious crowd. He hung out with the ones that he knew were not going to make it. They were bound for hell. And so he tried to be a witness to them. If the church is going to make a difference in this world, we need to have the kind of attitude that Jesus had. Jesus made a difference. I believe we can all sit here and testify to that one, that he made a difference in this world. He made a difference in my life. He saved my soul. He made a difference in your life if you were saved. He made a difference in the way that we live. He made a difference in the way that we love. As a church, as a Christian, he made a difference. So if we're going to have that kind of attitude in the church, we're going to have to mirror what he did with what we do as the church. We're going to have to go and love. We're going to have to go and we're going to have to witness. We're going to have to go and we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to go be a help to those that need the help. Love the ones that have never experienced love before. But to be the church, we're going to have to be like Christ. We're going to have to have the attitude that he had to be the church. And here's the hard part. I'll throw this in for free. You're going to have to put aside yourself, your pride. Put aside self if you're going to do it. There's a lot of prideful people in our churches. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I, I just I don't want to be a part of it. Might mess with my image. We're going to put aside self if we're going to be like Jesus. And you might be pretty comfortable with life right now and what you do. You might try to give what you can. You might try to witness when you can. You might try to read your Bible when you can. You might try to come to church when you can. But be honest with yourself. Do you really try that hard? Do you try hard? 
do you try as hard as Jesus tried? We need to try harder. We're getting lax. The Christian faith, is, as Keith was saying this morning, we're below a quarter of the population of the world right now is, is, is Christian. We're just dropping in numbers right now. We're seeing people in our churches that are passing away, they're dying off, but we're not seeing another generation to come up and take their place. And it's scary. It's extremely scary. We need to make Christ important in our lives. Make Christ important in our churches. I can't believe I have to say that right now. But Jesus needs to be important in our churches. Too much worldliness going on in our churches right now. And Jesus ain't the center of the church. He ain't even the head of the church no more. He's been taken out. They've taken him out of the Bible. They've taken him out of the church. They've taken him out of their songs. They've taken him out of their teachings. He's been taken completely out. Who would have? Th- what is it? If you take Jesus out, why do you even call it a church? That's just a, a place, a gathering place. That ain't even church. You can't even fellowship. If we want to be Christ-like, we're going to have to get rid of our attitude, our bad attitudes, put aside our, our pride, and we're going to have to get away from this, this self-centeredness that we have and focus on what the main thing is and keeping the main thing the main thing is keeping Jesus the head of the church and keeping him the head of our church and the head of our house and the head of our lives. We've got to keep him in our hearts. Is being Christ-like important to you? Now, that's an important question to ask. Is being Christ-like, which is being a Christian, is it important to you? Do you make it a priority in your life? Being a Christian, is it priority for you? It better be. It better be. If so, then why are we not doing more to reach the lost? I know our hands got tied there for a, a, a little while. Couldn't really get out and do as much as we wanted to. But we're over that. It's time to move on. It's time to reach the lost. I can't imagine the number of people that died and went to hell because we could not reach them for a little while. Why are we becoming more closed off to others and investing time in them doing personal discipleship? Why are we so closed off? Unfortunately, I believe we got a little used to the way it was when we couldn't get out. And, and some people got comfortable with that. I think the, the church in general, God's church, I think they got used to not getting out and helping those that were lost. I think we got used to not doing missions because we couldn't travel. I think they got used to not having times of fellowship. We got used to that, and now we're, we're kind of we want to stay that way. I don't want to stay like that. I missed it. I missed working with people, not because that was my job, but it's my passion. I love missions. I missed getting to talk to those mission leaders or those church leaders or those pastors, and they were so excited about getting to go and spread the gospel, whether it be here in the U.S. or wherever it might be. I missed those conversations and feeling the excitement and the joy as we spoke on the phone or we spoke in person. They, they were they used to be excited about doing it, and then they couldn't go anymore. I miss that. I miss those mornings when we would come in here to the church, and we were spread out like a week's worth of washing because we couldn't be close to one another. I miss the fellowship. The mornings we couldn't have a breakfast. Not that it's about the meal, it's about the fellowship. I miss that. 
I tell you what hurt me the worst, and I've never told him this, but I'm going to tell him right now in front of everybody. Jerry hurt my feelings one time. He gave me a fist bump, and he wouldn't shake my hand. <laughs> no. I miss that. And we're, we're back to normal right now. But the first time Jerry gave me a fist bump, that hurt my heart. I realized what we were going through. And I, I mean, I, I took it, it was serious. And I understood it completely, 100% understood it. But it, I think that really hit home with me when I couldn't give somebody a handshake. Two years ago from Mother's Day, I couldn't have come up here and hugged every one of them like I did last week. I did that for a reason. I missed hugging people. <laughs> y'all probably didn't like it, but I, I missed it. I wanted to give you a hug because I love you and I appreciate y'all. If we're, if we're becoming more closed off to others and investing time in them, then, then we're, not, we're not giving them the discipleship that they need. If we're not invested in them, they're not being discipled like we're supposed to. Do we really want to make a difference in this community? I, I ask myself that question often. And when I say the community, that's, that's for us, whether it be right here on Squirrel Creek or Avery or Watauga, wherever we're at. Do we really truly want to make a difference in our community? Wherever we go, I hope we do. I hope we don't go out and say, I'm with Chestnut Dale Baptist Church. You're going to hell. Would you want to come to church with me? That's not the way to do it. But you could go out and you could say, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You can go anywhere you want to and say, do you know Jesus? Do you have that relationship with him? Open up those doors. Now, I asked this question several years ago. And the only reason I'm going to ask again today is because of what I've heard from the past two years about this, about this church right here. When are you going to have Heritage Day again? That's what I keep getting asked. This week, while we was down there at the, over there at the, the Catholic Church, there was a lot of locals come through, and when they found out I pastored here, they said, that's where they had the apple butter, ain't it? And I said, yeah, that's it. So this is the question that come to mind this week, but I've also asked this to y'all a few years ago. If the doors of this church were to close today, would this community know it? Would this community know it? Are you a lot on the hill? I believe there'd be a lot of broken hearts in this community. I believe even those people that don't go to church here, they know y'all, they know this church, I believe it breaks their hearts. We don't want to get to that point. I don't want to see no church doors closed, period, anywhere. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So we as the church, we, we got to step up and be more Christ-like, and have the attitude that Jesus had towards others, and love them, and help them out. Peter says, to be strong in this life, we have to arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus. Put on the whole armor, and have his attitude. Secondly, we have to know the will of God for our life. Verse 2 says, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. In this world we live in, we are, we're being pulled to live like the world. Every single day. I don't care if it's our youngins in school, or if it's in our jobs, or wherever we go. 
there are so many people that's trying to pull us away from the church. They're trying to pull us away from the Word of God. They're trying to tug and they're grabbing a hold of the reins and they're trying to drag us away from what we believe in and drag us back into the world. That's not God's will. I don't believe God would ever say that that would be a part of His will for us to be pulled away from the church or away from Him. Peter's telling the believers to arm themselves with a commitment to do the will of God and abandon their former sins. Get away from it. Paul says that we become a new creature, and that means that we are to get away from our old past. Get away from our old selves, our old, our old sinner lives, the souls of our lives. We've got to get away from that time and forget about that time and move on and be Christ-like. One of the main questions that, that I hear is, how can I know what God wants me to do in my life? As a, as a pastor, as a preacher, you hear that a lot. You don't hear it from unbelievers, you hear it from believers. How do I know what God's will is for me? I can't tell you. I don't know if y'all think I've got a direct link, or I've got access to the password to see God's will. Uh-uh, I have no clue. I know what he wants from us, and he wants us to have a good life. He wants what's best for us. I know that, but I can't tell you what God's will is. I can sit here and look at the youngest and the oldest. I can look at Clayton right now and say, I have no clue what God's will is for that little boy. And I can look over here at Nat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what his will is for Nat either. I don't know. I don't know, but we need to be working on figuring that out. Now, there's some non-negotiables when it comes to God's will. Every believer is given mandates. This is from Jesus, too. The mandates to give of their time, and, and, and Jesus tells us to give of our talent and to, to give, if we can, and to give of our money if we can. But there's mandates out there from Jesus. Every Christian is given a mandate to live a holy a decent and a quiet life. That's from Jesus right there. He, every Christian is given a mandate, this is a tough one, to share your faith. We have a mandate to give your testimony whenever you get an opportunity. That's a mandate. We have the mandate to study the Scripture. We're told to study. Study to show thyself approved. We're to study the Scripture. We as Christians, every Christian has the mandate to be a part of the local church, to be a part of it, not to go to it, but to be a part of it. There's a difference between going to church and being a part of the church. Is that an oh me or an amen? Jesus says if you're not faithful in these things, these mandates, these commands that I have given you, if you're not faithful in this, why should I give you anything else? Why should I give you anything else to do? If you can't be faithful in this, I can't give you anything else to do. Now, those are non-negotiables, which means this is something that every believer is told to do. It's a command we are to do. It's not an option. We don't have an option. There is no plan B for that. There is just plan A. And that is it. There's no second, third, fourth option. We just do what Jesus said to do. The problem is we, uh, too often we want to pick and choose. 
I don't want to study my Bible today. I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to be a part of a church today. I don't want to give my tithes today. I don't want to do anything for you today, Jesus. Lord God, I just don't want to get out of the house today. It's not an option. It's a mandate. Then we wonder why we're so easily thrown off course by the enemy. It's because we're not sticking with the mandates. We're not sticking with the commands that Jesus has given us. We're getting lax in our, in our life, our Christian life. We're getting lax. And you wonder, why is the devil, why does he just keep stomping on me? Why does he keep making my life hard? It's your fault. You've got away from the Word. You've got away from the Lord. You're not in God's will. That's, that's really when you know you're not in the center of God's will. Things start falling apart. Peter says, arm yourself with a commitment to do the will of God. George Truett said this. He said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Knowing and doing. Third thing, we have to know we are not who we once were. We're not who we once were. Before we came to Jesus, we lived to please ourselves in our sinful nature. Before we come to Jesus, we'd go and we would do as we pleased. Didn't care who it hurt, what, what image it gave us. We didn't care. We lived for the world. We did not live for the Word. And it hurt us. Now, this is a list of things that Peter laid out here for us a while ago that the, lo- the lost go after. That's what we did. That's what we did. I'm going to find it real quick here. It says, verse 3 says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in less viciousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. That was us. might not sound like all of it was us, but part of it was us. We were just sinners. We were sinners. We were born sinners. And now we're just sinners saved by grace. Now we're still, still sinners, but we're saved by grace. And so those things that Peter listed right there, we might do every now and then, but we can ask for forgiveness. I'm not telling you to go out and do it and ask for forgiveness. Stay away from it. But if we do slip up, if we backslide a little bit, we can still ask for forgiveness from Him, from God. Peter's telling us as believers, don't go back to that lifestyle. You spend enough time there. And that goes all the way back there to Sunday school this morning. Those people that die and are saved just, just minutes before they die. Those deathbed confessions or whatever you want to call it, that's Catholic, I know. But those people that are saved right before they die, they finally realize that they have just lived an awful, terrible life. They want to have Jesus in their life. And so they make a profession of faith right there, and then they die. Unfortunately, they don't have any rewards to give Jesus when they get there. If they do, it's very few. They'll never understand what it was like to live a Christian life. They don't know what they missed. That's what I want you to know. I ain't missed a thing since I got saved. I ain't missed the old lifestyle. I ain't missed any of that stuff. And I hope you ain't either. I hope you don't sit and sit on your front porch while it's raining 
and wonder what it'd be like if I wasn't saved. I can tell you what it'd be like. Sum that up in one word. Hell. It'd be terrible to live that kind of life. You spend enough time spitting in God's face, cursing Him, shaking your fist at Him, hating on Him, living of the world. You spend enough time there, you don't need to go back. You shouldn't even want to go back. Remember, you were, you're not who you used to be. You were bought by the blood. I'm going to read you this, and then we'll move on. H.A. Ironside told the story of, of pioneers who were making their way across one of the central states in the distant place that had been open for homesteading. They traveled in cover wagons drawn by oxen, <clears throat> and progress was purposefully slow. One day, they were horrified to note a long line of smoke in the west, stretching for miles across the prairie, and soon it was evident that the dried grass was burning fiercely and coming towards them rapidly. They had crossed the river the day before, but it would be impossible to go back to that before the flames would be upon them. One man only seemed to have understanding as to what could be done. He said he, or they said he gave the command to set fire to the grass behind them. When a space was burned over, the whole company moved back on it. As the flames, as the flames roared on toward them from the west, a little girl cried out, Are you sure we shall not all be burned up? The leader said, My child, the flames cannot reach us here, for we are standing where the fire has been. I don't know if y'all have ever had to do it. Morris, you ever done that before? You ever back burnt and have to get in black? That is scary. I could understand where that girl's coming from. I've had that happen twice in my life where a fire come up on me and I didn't have anywhere to go. I had to burn me out a hole so that I could survive, so I could live. Those guys out in Arizona that died several years ago, those firefighters, they, they just got overwhelmed, even with the tent on them. But it's safer where the fire has been. You burn it out. Fire won't burn back in the black. Fire doesn't burn in the black. So he said, burn us out a spot. Once that goes out, we can move over in the, in the black. We can move over where it's already burnt. That's a picture for us as a believer who is safe in, in Jesus. If you think about it. On Jesus Almighty, vengeance fell, which would have sunk us, every single one of us, to the pits of hell. Jesus came to this earth, and he, he, he burned it out for us. That's the best way for me to put it. If you know fire lingo, that's kind of the way I look at it. He chose to bear our sins on the cross, and by doing so, he became a hiding place for each one of us. That's what, when, when you have the black spot, when you when you've burnt out the area for a safety zone for each one of you, that's a hiding place. That's the place where you get down and you can get in the middle of it and you can put your tent over top of your fire tent on top of it. And if the fire burns back over you, you, you have a better chance of survival in that hiding place right there. The fires of God's judgment burn themselves out on Jesus and all who are with him forever. He came for us. And now we're standing where the fire has been. Fourth thing, last thing, we have to have a genuine hope of eternal life. Look at verse 6 one more time. It says, For this, 
For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. God has promised us that through death that we will overcome sin and enter into eternal life. He's promised us that. And oh, what a promise. I'll never, I'll never doubt that. I've never doubted any of his promises. But right there's one. That's a promise I can't wait to get fulfilled. Peter's point right here is that believers should be willing and unafraid to suffer. And we're going to suffer. But we've got to be willing and unafraid to do so. We're going to be persecuted as Christians. And as our numbers get lower, we're below a quarter now. As our numbers get lower, we're going to look weaker. But we've got to be stronger. We've got to take a stand for it. Be ready to, to serve. Be ready for that persecution. Believers might suffer a physical death. That's martyrism. But we might suffer that. But our souls will remain alive and enter into the promise of eternal life. If we go down worshiping Jesus, if we go down preaching the gospel, it's okay. It might not sound good, but it'll be okay because our souls will be at home forever with Jesus. We're just going to go a little bit quicker than we planned on probably. Believers might suffer it, but just remember this. We're going to be in a place in heaven where we're not going to have to deal with persecution ever again. We're not going to have to deal with the enemies of the gospel ever again. We're not going to have to deal with the devil ever again. We're not going to have to deal with the demons ever again. We're not going to have to worry about bad things going on in our churches ever again. We're not going to have to worry about the ungodly world ever again. I can't wait for that. We're not going to have to worry about anything. Nothing can steal a believer's victory. They ain't a thing. Romans 8, 38 and 39 plainly tells us, for there's nothing, there's nothing that can take away the love of God. Nothing. Nor height, nor death, depth. Nothing can take it away from us. So we have a true hope and a reality of eternal life in heaven. So as we close out this morning, just think about this. If we're going to arm ourselves in this life and be successful in God's sight, then we have to have the attitude of Jesus. We've got to have a good attitude. Not a bad attitude, but we've got to have a good attitude. Have one like Jesus had and love one another. That's the attitude the church has to have. That's the attitude that the Christian has to have. Love. Just love. Stand with me. We're going to close out. Jesus could have had a bad attitude towards all that he went through, but he didn't. He done everything that he done for us out of love. We need to do everything that we're doing for others out of love. Not for praise, for ourselves, but everything we do is to glorify God. Everything Jesus done glorified the Father. He gave him the praise, he gave him honor, and he gave him glory for everything that he went through. Same here. We need to do the same thing. Our persecution, give him praise. All that we go through here on earth, good or bad, 
give him the praise and thank him for all that he's done. Mike, will you dismiss us, please? Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Don't forget your baby bottles. You don't want to see Dan angry. <laughs>